Welcome everyone to the Food and Movies podcast, where we investigate the intersection between food and movies. I'm your host, Paul. I'm here with Jeremy. Jer, what's the film this week? Film this week is uh, yet another Band Apart film, another Tarantino-ish movie, but it's called Four Rooms. So for those who are new, the structure of the show is that we give an introduction to the movie and then we break down chronologically all of the food that appears in the movie. We get deep, we tell jokes, and we go on tangents and uh, we enjoy ourselves. (laughs) So this movie, Four Rooms, significant, I feel. Jer? Fascinating movie. Um, Yes. I mean, once again, you... you, you, What what are your opening remarks? Let's let's, let's let's, shake it down already. Well, I mean, I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the thread throughout which is my one of my my guy tim roth um, solid thread very solid just thread. and and i will probably i i've i've started watching you know we as we keep producing this i start watching these and i make these kind of unfounded promises right up front. i have a thread of my own by the way for the audience after chairs done with this thread <laughs> so so um i usually say yeah we'll talk about that a lot throughout and we never end up talking about half of what i say we're going to talk about uh but uh Tim Roth's physical comedy in this movie is oh. unreal. Like, Mwah. just... Incredible. You don't get a lot of guys doing a lot of great physical performances in film. Um, it was almost mime-esque it was, how much he was, you know? It was that old shtick, that talking mime, like, I'm pulling the rope. I'm pulling the rope. I'm trapped even in though, a box. Yeah, even the way he was walking was so exaggerated uh, and cartoony. Yeah. It was just all of his emotions, like that little cartoon intro with the da 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 Like that was him as a character. Like he was just a total, like it, it was such a departure from the Tim Roth that I know and the Tim Roth that I love. But then when you look at some of Tim Roth's other performances, like Rob Roy really comes to mind in this. Like he was very evil, but very cartoonish evil in that. Like he was always like kind of like absolutely very dainty, very dainty, flamboyant. doing things with his hands. But he was also yeah. like a violent killer. <laughs> In, <laughs> and and, it, and this, it, he had that same kind of like, oh, I'm fluttery and I'm you know just doing my job. But then like it's and it's very boom. unusual for an actor to go that broad and that yeah. exaggerated and feel free have the confidence to do something like that. I feel like. But I'm wondering, and maybe you you know this better than I. The scenes in between, like mm-hmm. the old yeah. man talking to him or, mm-hmm. you know, any scene where he's not in a room. Who's directing that? I don't know. I tried to find that out. I don't know, actually. Yeah, I couldn't find that out either. Or maybe it was just him. go like, Or maybe it was if it's in sequence with a certain thing, like, or maybe Tarantino. I don't know. I don't know who was running the show. Don't know. Yeah. yeah, someone had to have directed it, though. You're right. Yeah, it was because it was just so amazing to watch. And then the rooms themselves, I think I alluded to this. The second room. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead and uh, explain the structure of four rooms. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Structure. Well, why don't you? You, you explain. Oh, yeah. Well, so so folks at home, uh, four rooms, the movie is structured as four episodes in a hotel over the course of one night, which happens to be New Year's Eve, we assume 1992 because the movie came out in 92, maybe 1991, I'm not sure, but early 90s, uh, there's a bellhop and he is tasked with servicing this whole, bad night to start as a bellhop, by the way, New Year's yeah. Eve, yeah. honestly, like, come on, man, have a little onboarding here, bro. I, I appreciate the pep talk he got from his uh, predecessor. That was always good. 
Well, I love how I love how that pep talk sets up the story. Like all the rules, he breaks yeah. them within like like very quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think he had to do that. But yeah, so it is a it's this bellhop's adventures servicing these four different hotel rooms, and that's the whole movie. We were talking about Pulp Fiction last uh, episode and how how much I love episodic two episodes structures. Ago. Two episodes ago, sorry. How much I love episodic and unusual structures of screen of movies and storytelling in general. So, so yeah, you're you're saying, Jer? Um, yeah. So the you know there as you said there are the four rooms. My favorite room initially when I years ago when I'd watched this movie, I really loved the Rodriguez room. So each director took took a room. And I loved the Rodriguez room with the kids. I thought it was great. But now this, like, as I'm older and, like, I understand the nuance of some of the rooms a little bit more. That second room with the couple with, uh, what's her name there? Um, Jennifer Beals, Flashdance. Jen- Jennifer Beals from Flashdance. And David yeah. David Proval, who is, like, he's Richie. Abu- he's, he's one of those guys we mentioned, like, um, who's in everything. He's just one of those older dudes who yeah. just seems to pop up everywhere. A lot of mob, yeah. a lot of mob stuff. He's most notable for The Sopranos in season two, I believe. He's Richie April or season one or two. He's Richie Looks like April. a Sopranos guy for sure. And he is like in The Sopranos of all the guys that are adversaries to the the main to James Gandolfini's character. He's the most terrifying dude, and he carries it through to this. It's not the same character at all. There are some similarities and you know in nuance, but. In in uh, there's a line in The Sopranos that I attribute to Proval. That's uh, Tony Soprano. James Gandolfini says, "Don't don't flash those Manson lamps at me," which are his eyes are just evil looking eyes. Like he's he got, he does have these glassy eyes, like these shark eyes. Yeah, and he's just like deadpan. Tells you the most messed up stuff, and you're just he's he's very scary, dude. So great performance and Beale's amazing. And Tim Roth coming into this, that scenario is just so funny to me. And it's all kind of like a, uh, like a, a miss, you know, it's, it's one of those like, yeah, it's a farcical misunderstanding. Yeah. But it gets so out of hand. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It does. Absolutely. I, I would like to take this time to actually mention another thread. You mentioned the Tim Roth thread. This is a great Tarantino Rodriguez thread mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because uh, the backstory to this movie is that most of these four directors, three of them uh, appeared in Sundance in 1992. Tarantino and Allison Anders had their b- debuts in 1992. And um, Rockwell, the guy who directed the, the, the room you mentioned, yeah. he actually won the grand jury prize in 1992. Robert Rodriguez made his debut with El Mariachi in Sundance 1993. Okay. So this is a Sundance, almost a full Sundance 1992 class, but Rodriguez came in in 93. Yeah, and I think that's Tarantino and Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's when, t- so for Rodriguez, he made his debut with El Mariachi. Yeah. And then his follow-up was a remake of El Mariachi called Desperado. Yeah. But this was his first film after Desperado. I remember reading in his uh, memoir that he was a little hesitant after El Mariachi as to what to do because mm-hmm. there was so much hype about it. He was a little bit scared to follow it up. So he did a few sideways type movies, like a TV movie, and then like he directed some kind of TV show. And then he made Four Rooms, which is not a full feature. It's a, it's a short part of a feature. And then after that, he remade El Mariachi. So he still wasn't quite 
diving into his his next thing fully yet. He was kind of holding back. But mm. after Desperado, which was a remake of El Mariachi, this was his next film, which was a co-directing thing with Tarantino and two other directors. After this film, he made From Dust Till Dawn, which was written and co-starring Tarantino. Yeah. And Desperado, which was the film he made before this, which is a remake of El Mariachi, that had a cameo by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. So Great this cameo. is kind of, yeah. So he, Tarantino, it feels like, was kind of involved with his early career when he first started out. And that's where their friendship kind of blossomed. So. Yeah. I always, yeah, thought, yeah. I always thought El Mariachi was the first in a series. But you're telling me it's actually Desperado was a remake of El Mariachi. Uh I think well, it's it's supposed to be next, and it's it's weird because you're right. It is supposed to be a continuation, but it's basically a remake. Of, it's a it's big budget same. remake of El Mariachi. Basically. Yeah, yeah, with Selma Hayek, who who weirdly enough, if you look into the credits of this movie, Selma Hayek is in Rodriguez's scene as the girl on the TV. Yes, and then just and then uh, from dusk till dawn. Tarantino famously sucks on her toes when yeah. she is doing the stance with the champagne. Oh, God. And if you didn't know Tarantino had a foot fetish before, you definitely right knew it after there. that. Yeah, that right scene, then and there. That scene in Dust Till Dawn raised me just about as much as my parents did, if not more. Um, oh, that really? That was fantastic. I became a man that day. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, Selma Hayek, man. Scorching hot yeah. at the time. Oh, but also like God. great, like uh, clearly had the came out of like as a very attractive, you know, leading lady. But then all of a sudden it's like, wow, she can act like she oh, is yeah. good and charismatic, she, beautiful. She, yeah, she's just got she had she hits all the points. And even now when she shows up in something, you're like, damn, like I love Selma Hayek. She's fantastic. If we're if I'm going to ask you some questions. Sure. What was your favorite room? Do you have one you like the most? It's it, uh, it, the misbehaviors and um, the last one, the Tarantino one. The man. I generally from... go back and forth. Yeah. yeah. I generally go back and forth on those two. Um, the misbehaviors is so funny, though. And it's just the way it builds up and it's put together is just so good. But then uh, the man from, was it Man from LA? I believe it's called. Yeah, or something like that. Man Sorry, from that. Hollywood. The Man from Hollywood, right. Yeah. But The Man from Hollywood is, it's right there. They're, they're so close. It's It's got to be between those two. But I think that now that I'm older, The Man from Hollywood, I like it a little bit more because it's a little darker. Even though Miss Neighbors is pretty good, it's actually arguably darker. Than, but, but Rodriguez puts his kind of like spy kids spin on spy it. Spy kids, but they're like, this is what you could get away with. But the, the subject matter is so out of control. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you can have a you can have a couple of kids in a hotel room who end up un, uncovering a hooker in the bed, and then one of them takes a needle and stabs the bellboy in the thigh. Yeah. You had kids doing this in the night, which this is, is unheard of. When they're playing darts with the <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a great. The, the misbehaviors is great. Um, yeah, it just you know like as I as I age, I love the. Just that weirdness of that that room too. Oh, that was very David Lynch weird. Yeah, very, like just yeah. like there's a like weird sexual energy there. That was like very fun. The first room, I'm not gonna trash it. I well, that means you are gonna trash it though. No, no, that no. Does mean gonna I'm not gonna trash it. it. Just why would you even say that, bro? It like, wasn't. Why would you even... <laughs> it wasn't my favorite. <laughs> I and think no, it's everyone's least favorite. Not because of anyone in it. I just it got like 
it was almost out of place in in totally this, yeah like there was a fantastic fantasy element to it which i'm sure is what they were going for but it just it, it wasn't my i mean i like the topless girls and and you know tim roth hooking up with somebody that was great um and i understand the premise of it and why it was interesting and i love the you know I love the cast. The cast of that room was amazing too. Like, and it was yeah. well, well acted, well conceived. Just of the four, it just kind of it started me down a different path than the other three. Like, it seems like the outlier. Yeah, and- the other three tend to have. Uh, they tended to kind of have a reveal somewhere or in, in it. They're, yeah, it, it uncovered something. There, they they would build to something, and there would be some kind of surprise involved. Which, uh, which I think took them to another level. But that one just seemed to not really have a, I guess, third act, really. It seemed to have a first and second act and just stop. Yeah. You know? It's yeah. like, oh, we need, I mean, our, our non-sponsors don't care. But we need something from this young man. Yep. They get that thing and there's not a whole lot of conflict in how they get it or anything like You know what I mean? So it's... So yeah, it was almost of, like yeah. watching True Blood. Where they like cast a spell on you, and then like there, everything was very in sequence, quick to the point, and you kind of just got through yeah. it. And then you were like, "But I think biggest kind of cameo of the movie there with Madonna was pretty huge impressive. cameo with yeah. Madonna. Yeah. She Madonna was just a gigantic at that point. Yeah, like, really. Oh, misbehaviors, by the way, Banderas, some of the best on-screen smoking I've ever seen in my life. He smoked incredible. You go. Like, <laughs> Everything that man does with a cigarette was just amazing. You know what I mean? There's a point in time where anything Antonio Banderas did was just like the most badass, amazing thing you've ever seen. Like, There's a movie he did with Stallone called Assassins. Assassins. Where they yeah. were both assassins. And yeah. he would just like... By the way, an absolutely ludicrous movie. Oh, he was like up from the roof. He's like, I'm going to use the pistol. <laughs> it's like, no, dude. like That's not going to work. Yeah. We should do that. We should do an episode. I bet you there's food. There's a lot of fruit eating in that movie, I believe. So we could definitely pop. Ben, what, one, one of the sweatiest movies for yeah. Banderas, who was a very sweaty actor in general. A lot of sweaty. Might be peak sweaty Banderas in that movie. But just great, great stuff. Like Banderas was the coolest, sexiest guy for the longest time. And then everyone just found out, oh, yeah, he's also like a classically trained singer. <laughs> like, yeah, dude, dude can sing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very Hugh Jackman esque. You know, he's yeah. got this guy comes over and he, very masculine, manly, has these very physical, manly roles. And all of a sudden, oh, this guy can actually do show tunes and stuff. Like, oh yeah, he's a, <laughs> well, he sang in the he sang with Los Lobos in Desperado. In that he was in, scene. I believe he was yeah. in a um, musical. I forget which one. He was in a Vita. He was Evita. Yeah, yeah, he, he was, was in Evita. Vita. And yeah. he sang with Sarah Brighton on some Phantom of the Opera stuff too. So he's, Sarah Brightman, oof. Oof. she makes some ugly faces when she sings. Yeah, but, but she what can a sing voice! Like oh man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, quick sidebar: at that around that same time, Sarah Brightman came up with an album, which was like a nautical, had <laughs> a nautical theme. Ooh, it talked like about sea Captain shanties? Nemo and sea shanty, all that stuff. It was a very like it was a concept album for Sarah Brightman. With a nautical theme called Siren, by the way, which I had as a young man, played the heck out of it actually. Yeah, I was a weird kid. I no, was weird I was, kid. hey, I'm a big Sarah Brightman fan. That that lady knows how to sing, and I'm pretty sure her hot take, 
Her and Andrea mm. Bocelli, they were hooking up. Had to have been. I think Bocelli hooked up with everybody. Yeah. I mean, yeah. look, I'd hook up with Bocelli. Guy's got the voice well, of an angel. He's got that thing where he's blind, right? Or he can't see. So yeah. he, he has to, like, touch you to get a <laughs> sense of what you got, look like. He's got that thing where he's blind. Yeah, I it's yeah, just yeah. Called, he's got that thing. I think yeah. it's just called blindness, but yeah. Is it? Okay, all right. But yeah, every time he sings with somebody, he's got his arm, like, he's touching them. He's very tactile, dude. Yeah, great tangent. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, there's this whole theory that Stevie Wonder is faking it. He can actually see because he'll he'll joke with people about he'll he'll get someone to tell him what someone's wearing and he'll joke and and leave a comment and somebody be like, wait a second, can that's, you see? That's funny, mf'er. Yeah, so I'm going to hot take. I, I think Andrea Bocelli is lying and he can actually see. He's just using the blindness as an excuse to grow just, celebrities, touch people. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. your that's your opinion and not the opinion of the podcast or the network. Yeah, uh, all of my 112 subscribers, go ahead and cancel me. See what happens. <laughs> the lawsuits, direct them at Paul, not yeah. at me. No, no, no. Huge fan of Andrea Bocelli. <laughs> boy, Jerry. Should we get into the food? Absolutely. Okay, so as you mentioned, the first this is uh, the first of four rooms, hence the title. First room is a strange hodgepodge of famous actors ranging in levels of fame levels of fame levels of i guess nicheness of yeah. where we know them from and it's the coven of witches yeah and uh they ask uh, by the way the structure of this entire movie is based on the bellboy ted played by tim roth basically serving room service to each room so food as a connective tissue to the plot yeah very important as we go along yeah food alcohol and ice yeah, yeah, because Tim Roth is basically a waiter. He's bringing these people food all all night, and that initiates all of the action and the thrust of the the plot. So, the first initiation of Tim Roth being called to a room is Coven of Witches, and they ask him for fresh rosemary, sea salt, or kosher kosher salt. Shout out to you, Jer. A bottle a bottle of spring water, French, not that Italian stuff. She doesn't say stuff. She says use a bad word, but I can't yeah, do that. She says the S bomb. That's right. Some ginger and some raw meat, liver if you have it. Weird. And one of the, the young lady, the teenager, asks for French fries, and she's uh, promptly shut down by one of the older witches. Very rudely, by the way. They really treat this young witch. Badly. But they call her a little shiitake mushroom, and uh, <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> and which is like, but then uh, she's clearly with was Madonna, right? Like they're yeah. either they're in an intimate kind of thing or. The one's a protege. It's a mentor protege. I'm not going to yeah. speculate. Um, well, I, I, it seemed very like Elaine Maskwell esque. I want if it. Yes, me. Yeah, I want it to be intimate, but I don't know how old yeah. they are, and I don't know the grooming scenario. Uh, both attractive women, but mm -hmm. I'll leave it there. <laughs> what uh, What is your relationship with Madonna? Uh, because Tarantino in Reservoir Dogs is a whole bit on Madonna. Yeah, her. funny. I just watched that like two hours ago. The intro okay. scene to Like a Virgin, which I thought was one of my favorite kind of diatribes of Tarantino. Intro um, to Reservoir Dogs, which they talk about Like a Virgin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Madonna, to me, when I was a kid, she was always the, like, she was the first kind of Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera pop star to me. But she was better than that, right? Like, not, no, not trashing those two, but she was kind of like... 
she was very attractive and very kind of like womanly and, and powerful and sexual, but also, and I was 12 or 10 or whatever, but, um, but she was also like really talented. Yeah. She, I just, I didn't know it at the time, but I just, now looking back, I can think she was just so alpha. Yeah. You know? She had a power. Very, too. very alpha. Yeah. Which was hot. Extremely hot. And people, it was like a, it was like it was borderlining on dominatrix, right? Like it was playing yeah. that, playing a bit of that, and and you know, like we said a couple episodes ago, some some people enjoy a little bit of that every now and again, and and in the second room we'll get into that a little bit, I'm sure. That's a good segue, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but the, but the food the food in this scene, so she mm -hmm. she orders what was it a burger and fries? Oh, we're going to the. No, the first scene. The, the first scene? Is sorry, the no, first scene. No, she, she asked scene. for some fries, some but fries it's shut down. gets shut down. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll, let's go back to some of these. The, there was a bunch of stuff. Fresh rosemary, sea salt, or kosher salt, kosher salt, spring water, French, not Italian, some ginger, some raw meat, the river you have it. So we assume that they're using this to concoct some kind of potion. Sort of potion. Basically. Not so much to eat, but this is part of the potion. Food, but still. But I'm curious about some of these ingredients. So for you, when you cook. Please. Kosher, yeah. sea salt, what kind of salt are you using? Bro, when you pick up sea, uh, kosher salt and you hold it in your fingers and you feel how thick it is, yeah, it is something else, man. I am a kosher salt man through and through. I will use kosher salt all day long. Also, yeah, I feel like it actually adds a little bit of texture. There's some, little salt bombs going off in your dish. Yep. J just trim it. Kosher salt all day. Go ahead. Also, a, a milder salt. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. Sea salt is a very powerful salt. Punchy salt, yeah. Yeah. Whereas kosher salt kind of has a, a mellow flavor. It's like a slow release kind mm, of thing. So yeah. that's why cooks seem to prefer it. Um, okay. And then rosemary, yeah, used in most dishes. Great, mm. great herb. Liver, what are your kind of liver? Sorry, there's a dog going off in the background if you can hear. But, uh, liver, uh, how do you feel about liver? I tell you, I didn't get to liver until I was well into my 20s. When I got it, uh, I, Anthony Bourdain actually stopped at a Jewish deli and he got chopped liver. I believe chopped liver, yeah, on a bagel, and it looked so damn good that I went to get it from the from the deli and I loved it, man. It was so good. That's like you are an honorary Jew for saying that. Like Thank that's you very much. Thank if you very I go much. to if I go to a deli and I get the chopped liver platter, people are like, "What?" And I'm like, "Well, you just haven't lived." No, until you, you have to try it. It, it is oh, tremendous. So good. It's one of my favorites. Oh, okay. And if it wasn't for Bourdain, I never would have tried it. Everyone knew about it. Yeah, I, I grew up on it. Like at any given Passover, Rosh Hashanah, whatever, it's oh, there's always a vat of chopped liver that I'm just like scooping onto whatever crackers. Do I you do ice cream scoop or do you? Go oh, I go big. I go scoop. big. You go big. When I was younger, I was like a little dainty, kind of like don't go because it's dangerous. It's it's a weird food. Now it's like yeah. I the cracker is a mode of conveyance. Oh yeah. Like I just yeah. need to get as much of the liver into my face as possible. My mom buys it for me every time she goes up to one of the like Jewish groceries. She's like, mm -hmm. "Oh, I picked you up some chopped liver, and I'll bring it home, and I'll just eat it like out of the tub." With a savage, goddamn savage, my god, unbelievable. Yeah, chopped liver, man. Underrated. Everyone at home, eat, eat chopped liver. Give eat, it a try. Chopped eat liver. more chopped liver. It's delicious. On a bagel, yeah. It's delicious. All right. 
Right. Okay. So there's not a ton to read into the the food itself, but I think it is significant because we have Ted acting as the conveyance, as the motivator to get this actually this party started.、Mm-hmm. And when they realize the most important ingredient is not there for this, I wouldn't say soup, but potion. Let's hope it's a potion, not a soup. Concoction. Concoction.、Uh, one of the topless ladies, Ioni Sky, by the way, the same lady that your buddy John Cusack held the radio up in the in the window for. That was Ioni Sky that he was、uh, really Peter Gabriel's、yeah. in your eyes. Yeah, we all come yeah, yeah, from yeah. full circle. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. A lot of connections in in everything. So she is topless. God bless her. And she asked Tim Roth on his very first. Delivery of his very first day on the job, his very first shift. My man gets lucky to break his very first rule. <laughs> yes, to break his very first rule. Now let me ask you this: What do you think happened? Was it full on? You think they were well, home run or were a third base thing here? How do you think she got that out of it? I think I think they went around the、uh, the bases, but I,、mm-hmm. they, you know, without getting into too much detail, I think. They stopped before things got out of hand and、right. did what they had to do. Okay, right, but it, we'll, we'll leave that at, at he that. Said, yeah. He said. He said after the fact that he, you know, yeah, went for it. Yeah. God bless her though, because she could have stopped at third and got that done, but she、yeah. she committed. She could have been halfway to first to try. <laughs> True. I, I guess you're right. First, no. I don't, I don't know the basis. What are the? I don't know what the basis. I don't know the basis. <laughs> okay, maybe they're different regionally. <laughs> I'm not sure. But for <laughs> us, it would have been on the way to second. At the at the very that's the closest you could get. I don't know. I'm not sure of the basis, but、uh, yeah. All right. Okay. So <laughs> leave a, a leave a、fi- comment below <laughs> on the basis. What the basis are. <laughs> okay.、Um, so the first room. Uh, not. I, I think we can both agree. Probably the weakest room, but again, not to judge too harshly.、Uh, Food-wise, not that great either. Brings us to your favorite room, yes, which is room number two. Room number two, which is our boy Ted brings、um, ice. Ice, right? He gets a call for ice on a different a part, a, a different room where there's a party happening. Calls him for ice. The two guys making the call, one of whom is Lawrence Bender, who、yes. is Quentin Tarantino's. Producer, yes. So Ted brings the ice to the wrong room and inter- accidentally interjects himself into a very strange psychosexual drama being played out. Which, having delivered lots of pizzas to lots of hotel rooms, I don't think is very far fetched. I think couples do go to hotels to escape and possibly role play.、Uh, tell us, tell us why you like the the, the room, the the second room. I mean, I like the room a lot because of the two the actors. Um, I like the room a lot because you actually, as I'm watching, and I didn't understand. I mean, just with my knowledge of the the story in general, the movie in general, over the years, this is still a room where I kind of don't know where they're going with it. I don't know if it was all a ruse. I don't know if you know. And every it's like a bait and switch every few minutes. Like Proval's having the heart attack. No, he's not having the heart attack. Why is there blood everywhere under the sink? What's up with that?、Um, him hanging out of the window was just crazy, like just a funny scene. And then you、yes. get the connection to the room above where he was supposed to be, where they totally puke on his face or whatever.、Um, that was Lawrence Bender, by the way. Yeah. 
And and then is is Beale playing with him? Like, what's that about? Is it, it you know? And she then she seemed incredibly relaxed for someone who's tied up and has a gun wielding maniac in front of her. Exactly. Very relaxed. And then we get the answer later on when she's like, "Oh yeah, he's he's asleep. He's boring." Like, you know, like just that whole ordeal that was like a life and death moment for Tim Roth's character, for Ted, for Theodore, which is Theodore. great. Don't call him Theodore. But that whole scene reveals a bit about Theodore. And and every room, I mean, the first room, we don't get much, but every room we continue to get a little bit more about Tim Roth's character, where it's like, he's not, he has a weird past. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like somehow the, he this psychosexual drama stirs something up from his childhood, some traumatic event on his schoolyard of him being called oh, um, Theodore Thumper, I believe. Yeah, and he just like... Yeah, and he really snaps. He really breaks him a little bit. He doesn't like it, but it also like firms him up. Like he, he, mm-hmm. he, he grows some balls in that scene as well. So yeah. interesting scene. Uh, food-wise, what do we got? Food. The weird thing in this food, in this in scene, this is Siegfried. <laughs> Siegfried whispers in Ted's ear, "What's the matter? No whiz left in the cheese," which I think is a metaphor for erectile dysfunction. But I have never heard this metaphor, no. and it's pretty weird. It's pretty strange. It's strange, but uh, cheese whiz delicious. Um, if you like okay. that kind of thing, but uh, I only would eat it for nostalgic purposes. I think it's. Fairly gross at this point in my life, but that's just me. It's like, but like, okay, what's the difference between cheese? Maybe you know this, cheese whiz yeah. and Velveeta. I've never had Velveeta. I've only had cheese. Whiz. Oh, if you yeah. want like nachos, yeah, do the Velveeta melt that down? No, oh, really? Oh yeah, you it's sure? It's magical, but it's like I usually a, great actual cheese on my nachos. I know, actual. but the actual cheese has. Like the thing about Velveeta and Kraft single slices, you know those like processed slices. My yeah. my grilled cheese. I think we've actually probably been down this road already, but my grilled mm. cheese has to have that level of melt, right? Mm. And like my nacho cheese, my, especially like a queso kind of dippy thing, Velveeta is mm. the way to go. Always. So when you when you make nachos, you like the melted cheese on the side that you dip into, not the one. No, sprinkled the sprinkled off. cheese is always like a bag of grated cheddar yeah or grated it turns into like a solid cement thing towards the end yeah holds it together but if you're doing nachos do it across a very flat don't do it in a Mm -hmm. bowl or a deeper pan because then the then you're left with just chips right you need to go very flat wide cookie baking sheet and spread the ingredients around so each chip gets enough of everything Okay. Hot tip. But you do, but you you dip the Velveeta. That's your preferred nacho cheese. Uh, uh, I like it. A distribution. Dip. I, guess. I like I like a queso style dip. I also like a guacamole and, and you know the the rest. But uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I feel like Velveeta craft singles and the powdered stuff that comes in. Um, what's that uh, macaroni and cheese you get in the box? Craft mac and cheese. Yeah. Or? KD. Yeah, I feel those are all... They must be made by the same factory or company. Yeah, it's like every... uh, They're the same thing, basically. One in powdered form, one in sliced form, and one in block form, I believe. Yep, it's like every miso miso soup from a Japanese restaurant comes from the same vat of miso soup. Yeah, they just keep (laughs) replacing it. 
I like the room more now than I did when I was, when I was younger, but um, hmm. not your favorite. Not much. Not 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 my thing. Not my thing. It was a little too. I don't know. I don't know. It was just no. I can't put my finger on it. It just seemed a little. It didn't have enough surprises for me. It seemed like a cool one act play, which I'll give it that. Yeah. And everyone was charismatic, but yeah, compared to the other two, I, I would say it was a step up definitely from the first one with the witches, but. Not as good as the other two. I just think David Proval's performance mm-hmm. in general. Like that, the guy I'm enamored with him, I think he's fantastic. He's, you know, he's just, he's not as big an actor as Tim Roth ever was, but, or is, uh, but that was just terrifyingly fun. Like just yeah. watching him go through the phases of like super strong to like, weak to almost dying to gaining his strength to like he doesn't know where he is but he's just this dangerous dude i really enjoyed it all right moving on um in the interstitial before the misbehaviors just want to note this there's a pack of red apple cigarettes yep. next to the telephone tarantino branding so this movie actually does take place in the tarantino verse for those watching at home which would lead me to believe that Tarantino might have directed some of the more between kind Maybe. of scenes because his influence is there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So moving on to the next room, which is The Misbehaviors, which is Robert Rodriguez's yeah. room. And it is a little bit like a mini Spy Kids. There's a couple of kids in there and Antonio Banderas plays like a gangster type dude with a very nice... Ponyta- gangster ponytail type thing where it looks like his whole face is being pulled back. It's so tight. Meticulous mustache work. Meticulous like, mustache work. Cut low to the lip, which is like, Oof. that's a style. It was drawn on with a pencil. Yeah. 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 So Ted enters with champagne because it is New Year's Eve. We forget that. And uh, Banderas pays him yeah. to watch the kids. Great negotiation scene oh. between him and Banderas. And that's, that's going to be a theme because in the next room there's a great negotiation scene that plays yep. the same kind of thing but well even in the first scene the witches are trying to negotiate they're trying to get him to do you know yeah. what I mean? so there's everything's a negotiation and then um bandera's like a champagne immediately like very fast yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and Love also it. he ex- exhales a nice before the before he speaks Great. he goes and he says champagne yeah fantastic smoking throughout the night the kids are doing what kids do they take their shoes off they throw things around yeah. they look into drawers closets they try to get the porn channel turned on eventually ted promises them milk and cookies if they'll behave he doesn't bring them milk and cookies he brings them milk and saltines yeah and he turns very ted it turns a real scary turn in yeah. this episode he, he gets, gets really kind of weird and scary we get another especially window, with the saltines we get another window into his past right like when he's mm-hmm. talking about putting that stuff on the eyes. Yeah, the uh, vapor, Vicks vapor rug. Yeah, it's like that's child abuse. Like, Ted, you, <laughs> you were a bit of an abused child. Um, but I think this back was, in then it was just pe- good parenting. Yeah, well, this was the 90s. Smart. Um, I never thought of that. I, I, yeah, but then know, also just, he never thought to just go wash it off. Right? That's smarted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, these kids were clever. And they mm-hmm. were and they were great. They, both of them, the girl, little girl was brilliant. The little mm, boy had yeah. some great physical moments, um, but I'm pretty sure the boy got cast because he had like the weird tooth. Yeah, he had a strange there. situation. A he just looked of, funny. Yeah, he was just a funny little kid. Um, and but 
The what food? So saltines. Anything? Saltines and milk instead of cookies and milk, Terrible. and then champagne. The kid shakes the champagne, goes all over the place, and later on, a cigarette lights the champagne on fire, while the young girl stabs Ted in the thigh with a dirty syringe. At that moment. Ted is also grabbing the ankle of a dead prostitute in the bed. This is a lot, a lot of information I'm giving to the audience right now if you haven't seen it, but a lot of things go wrong in this episode. Yeah, it's like a series of unfortunate events, which is always funny when things mm-hmm. kind of just get out of hand and it's yeah. out of somebody's control. And Tim Roth plays kind of the the straight, like the heavy in this. Like he's, he's a straight trying to react to it. I don't mean straight in a sexual sense. I mean, just like he's the... Luke Wilson in uh, uh, Old School. Everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah. He's, he's the Luke Wilson in everything Luke Wilson's ever been in. He's just kind yeah. of the guy that is letting things happen to him, even yeah. though he's not even in the room half the time, which is brilliant. As you mentioned, we don't see child abuse depicted in film uh, for comedic purposes very often, but in this one you do, and it is very funny. When Tim Roth slaps the cigarette out of the kid's mouth twice, Yeah. Legitimately funny, as far as I'm concerned. Really, really funny. He doesn't hit the kid. He just hits a cigarette. But I I don't think you could get away with that now. Oh, no. No. Kid took like a champ, though. Didn't start crying at all. He just picked the cigarette up again. These are Antonio Banderas' kids. Oh, they've probably taken beatings before. They're they're badasses, right? Like, that's that's how parenting used to be. It used to be, don't misbehave. And I'd be like, all right, I'm not going to (laughs) misbehave. Yes, sir. Um, all right, so not a ton of food, but a hilarious great build-up. scene. Great, by the way, great buildup in this scene as, as it gets to the end when Antonio. It's basically the old story where the kids are misbehaving and all of a sudden dad comes home. Yeah. It's like, whoa. But it was so adult for such two little kids to be handling. Yeah. Like, that was the best part of it is like they literally found a dead prostitute in the bed. Oh, this is. This is an adult movie with children. Yeah. This is what this is. And it was just like the, the weird kind of, I don't know, dichotomy between that. Like is very happy-go-lucky two kids, but they're playing, they're doing kids things in a very adult scenario. In a very adult hotel in, you know, throwing it. Very adult movie. In a very adult movie. So mm-hmm. loved it. One of my, my second favorite room now, probably. Right. And so from there... Antonio Banderas shows up, catches them red-handed. It cuts. Ted seems to make it out fine, yeah. which we still don't know why. It seems like that would be, if not a fireable offense, at least possibly a uh, he would take a beating from the gangster Antonio Banderas. But we're never told, so he must have talked his way out of it somehow. I'm not sure how. Yeah, they never... But also the timeline of this movie is weird. Like, the second room... He takes a call from a different room, and that is the kid in this room. Right. They do that. That's a Tarantino thing. Yeah. They mess and, with a timeline but, like that. Yeah. But but that, to me, logically didn't make sense because, or, it, then, or was Tim Roth right. in that room yeah, yeah, yeah. trying to, do, like, yeah. were these things happening in parallel? I don't know. Like, it was, it was. I very, think it's a multiverse thing. I don't think, yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure. It's Kevin Feige got involved and did a. Did a kind of Marvel multiverse thing. All right. Yeah. So from that room, he has a phone call. He, he calls his manager, who is partying, who who's played by Kathy Griffin, by the way. Yeah. And Marissa Tomei is in that scene. 
Marissa Tomei with a great cameo. Yeah. As a stoner who is one of the people after the party who's still awake playing video games. Does not, which used to happen back in the day. Yeah, but doesn't look like Marissa Tomei at all. No, like still it, charming though. Oh, still lovely, but you know, it's Marissa Tomei. But um, great scene. Kathy Griffith. I, I'm I don't know, I've always liked her. I've always found her funny. Have you? Yeah, I always found her funny. Okay, well, apparently her and Tarantino dated for a little while. Oh, there you go. She's that over-the-top. She was in of... Pulp Fiction and Four Rooms. So, You're right, you know. yeah. She's great. Always like Kathy Griffin. And I read that uh, a lot of the hotel room guests in that room and in the party room were, were acquaintances of Tarantino, who a lot of them worked at Video Archives with him. So, you know. That makes sense. A little, little tidbit right there. So now we get into, I think we're going to get into the most food-forward room. This is definitely the most food-forward room. It's been building up to this for a long time. So this is Mr. Hollywood. This is the, the man, last room the man of the from movie. Hollywood. I'm sorry, the man from Hollywood. The last room of the series. Tim Roth walks in, and it's Tarantino, and he is full Tarantino mode. He's playing him like a character of himself, yeah. basically. If he was a Hollywood actor, which he kind of is. But if he was like a famous... He's a Hollywood big shot. Yeah. yeah. He would... This is who he is. Yeah. So he walks in there. I've always wondered, do you think Do you think Tarantino is on coke or just seems like he's on coke? Definitely seems like he is. I'm not going to speculate as to whether or not he actually is. But even when I hear him talk now, which he's much older, like, I don't think... But even, the way he talks now versus the way he talked then, he's still very hyped up. He's still very kind of... Yeah. Like he's still kind it's of just his personality. Yeah, I, I, just I feel like it's a personality guy. thing now. Like I don't think. Okay. I'm sure he did a lot of coke. Let's. Who didn't, right? But um. I didn't. I did not. Well, did not do it. You also weren't a famous film director in the late '90s. It's true. Wish I was though. Man, is there anything cooler in the '90s than being either a famous film director? Or a record, a, a, a hip hop record label owner. Anything cool. Or a famous DJ. <laughs> Captain of a submarine? Yeah. I don't know. Close. So Ted comes <laughs> in <laughs> carrying multiple things, multiple odd things. But the first th the first mention of food is Tarantino offers. Tarantino is being extremely nice to Ted. We're not really sure why. But he offers Ted Cristal, and he makes a big deal how this is not champagne. He loves Cristal. It's Cristal. So, so we get the feeling that this is a guy who's probably not used to this and is very proud that he can now afford these things. So yes. similar to Tarantino, I would say. And so Cristal's interesting. It's a, it's a very, it's of the, if you look at champagne and if you know and like champagne, um, there are two big houses that produce the most well-known ultra premium i don't know if they'd say ultra premium but somewhat premium champagnes there's dom perignon and dom perignon being the monk that actually created champagne and then there's cristal shout out to that monk yeah great great guy um, yeah. then there's cristal which is louis roterer uh, mm -hmm. which is another big champagne house in in france and uh, as we all know it can't be called champagne unless it's from the champagne region of france which all right um, but they're really sticklers for that. They do not like it. Yeah. If you mess that up. Yeah. And these are the two kind of big ones that people go to now for years. Cristal was associated with hip hop. 
very much had yes. a, a hip hop celebrity vibe. My first experience with, with Cristal was Tupac's All Eyes on Me. Yeah. He had a lot of mentions of Cristal. Love. I had no idea. Yeah. That's the first time I ever heard of it, right? There. And there was a point where the, I don't know if it was the chief fitner or one of the owners, Louis Roderer, had made a comment, and this was probably about five, six, seven years ago, said something very racist and inappropriate. And now Cristal is no longer associated with hip hop whatsoever. It has been boycotted by that community. Um, oh, and, and, and rightfully so. Um, he, oh, he, he said something completely inappropriate. Um, but. Idiots. What an idiot. Man. Yeah, you had like, it, you just like were basically. What, you who, had this free advertising for years, man. What, what I didn't doing, understand man? is I don't care who's buying my product. I don't care what image my product is associated with. My product costs a lot of money and people are buying it. Yeah, you shut up. That's fine. Yeah, you, shut up. You shut the hell up and take the money and just keep getting. But like the French with their wine and stuff, they're very like, you know, there's a prestige there. But the problem is, is that if I'm going to go to the, the liquor store and buy myself a highly premium champagne, I'm going Dom Perignon all the time because I don't have any, you know, Cristal is Cristal. It's fine. But Dom Perignon is Dom Perignon. It's, it's mm -hmm. the champagne that started it all. So just an interesting food point in this scene and how he's like, it's effing Cristal. And he's so into it. It's like, this was a, right during the period of high hype. This was the all eyes on me time. Cristal was considered to be kind of Big in the hip-hop world, big in the music world, probably big in Hollywood. Everyone was drinking it. It was a, it was a scene, right? Yeah, um, it really got a lot of cultural traction from hip-hop. This movie, other movies. Yeah. Um, I In my Pete Davidson video, which is check, check out on my YouTube channel, Cinnamon Sandwiches, I talk about mimetic desire a lot, where when, certain, when a person who is a um, high-status person starts doing something, then other people will uh, will just mimic what they do, which is why you have celebrity endorsements, you know? It's like yeah. Kobe Bryant drinks Sprite. I don't think a high-performance athlete should drink Sprite, but he, he is making commercials for drinking Sprite, and then everyone else starts drinking Sprite. Same thing with Chris Dahl, I feel like, in the 90s. They got all this cultural traction from hip-hop, from movies, other places, and it really took off until, you know, what's-his-nose just couldn't not be racist and count his money like a smart person. Yeah. I think he thought that it was going to be detrimental in the long run. But advice, if you own a major champagne house, whoever's buying your champagne, just let them buy it. Let them buy it. Do what Tommy Hilfiger did. Let Lean it in, man. Lean just, right in. Because yeah. anyone and everyone can turn your brand into something amazing. Yes. Uh, at 114, Norman, who was the guy who played Paul, shout out to Paul, in Pulp Fiction, who was also... Almost Jules, Sam Jackson's character in Pulp Fiction. Really? I think, yeah, Tarantino, I think, gave him this role as well to to continue to make up for him not getting the Sam Jackson role in Pulp Fiction. So Paul, no, sorry, Norman, who was played by the uh, actor who played Paul, drinking a bottle of Jim Beam. I have never, I think, had Jim Beam. I don't think it's something that our generation drinks or maybe culturally uh, i don't know have you had jim beam you yeah jim beam? yeah so jim beam yeah. you were in jim beam okay so there's two kind of in that class there's jim beam and jack daniels jim beam is, is bourbon 
which like mm-hmm. champagne bourbon has to come from Kentucky or wherever. Is it Kentucky? Yeah. From the bourbon belt. Whereas Jack Daniels is not bourbon. It's sour mash whiskey. Tennessee, right? Tennessee whiskey. Yeah, Tennessee yeah. sour mash whiskey. Whereas Jim Beam comes from Kentucky. So mm. it's Jack Daniels' sparkling bourbon or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but uh, Jim Beam is just a, a very base level bourbon. It's fine if you like bourbon. I, I used to drink a fair bit of it when I couldn't afford anything better. But um, yeah, bourbon. Good bourbon. Okay. Decent bourbon. So, so uh, Tarantino's got his Cristal. Norman's got his Jim Beam. Chester, who Tar- the character that Tarantino plays, who's basically playing himself to just 11, I believe. Yeah. He just turned up to 11. Yeah. Gets extremely upset about the Cristal being flat because someone didn't put the cork back in the Cristal. I think very revealing of his character in that, again, like Tarantino, he seems like a guy who came from relative poverty and has now made it. And these little things, these little tiny things, really set him off. At 118, Chester asked Ted to go ahead and lay out what he brought. Brings a donut. Tarantino shoves that right in his mouth. Yep, that was just for him. Just for him. Uh, A knife. A club sandwich. Was it a knife or a hatchet or cleaver? Sorry. Cleaver, club sandwich. Club sandwich. I didn't take note of the the non-food, the food items. There's a couple items, one of which is a club sandwich, which Jennifer Beals takes. Which I'm I'm gonna stop for a second. I going back to this knife. I'm obsessed by it. Um, Okay. He calls it a hatchet, but it's a cleaver. Is Mm. it not? It seems like it. It's a butcher's cleaver, but they call it a hatchet. A hatchet is a small axe. Yeah, I think Ted was in a situation where he did the best he, he just could. not Yeah, okay, fair enough. All right. Yeah. yeah just semantics. Uh, club sandwich. Uh, not many recipes we could do from this episode, uh, but that is our recipe of the episode. I will post a recipe. I will, I will send it along shortly. A recipe for a club sandwich. There'll be a little twist on it, I'm sure. Um, haven't really finished it yet, but... We'll finish it shortly. Oh, well, I look forward to this because you always bring the heat with these recipes. Got to be part of the club. Got to be part of the club. Do you like a club sandwich? I love a club sandwich. It is one of my favorite sandwiches. I just thinking about it makes me want to eat one, honestly. Is it the... I just love it. The triangle cut? Is that what does it for you? The triangle cuts... So the user experience with a triangle cut, very important as far as I'm concerned. Flavor has nowhere to hide. Love it. Love it. I love the danger of the club sandwich because it's got the toothpick yeah. through there. So you got to be on your P's and Q's when you yeah. eat that sandwich. Can't, I love that element of This danger. isn't an idle sandwich. No. This is a, this is, yeah, the sandwich will bite you if you are not careful. But also love, I think sandwiches with fries are phenomenal but a club sandwich with fries this might be the sandwich where which puts you to sleep the most because the club sandwich got so many carbs with the toast and the mayo and the bacon and everything like that then you got the fries deep fried salt got the ketchup on there it's so comforting i just want to crawl inside the plate and take a nap Mm. as soon as i see it as far as i'm concerned that's it gives me such a warm feeling eating a club sandwich also, I've been eating them for so long that they have this built-in nostalgia, which I like to wrap myself in when I eat it. 
Mm. What are your thoughts on club sandwiches? I'm uh, so like, to me, it's a BLT with chicken. If I'm being you, honest. son of a, how <laughs> dare you? <laughs> if I'm being honest, how dare you it's disrespect a, it's a the BLT club sandwich with chicken, like that? But there's something. No, 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 no let me finish. Hang okay. On. Hang on. Um, there's something about it. There's something special about it. The way it's cut, the way it's presented, the way it's put together. I've had it with French fries. I've had it with regular potato chips on a kind of a lesser scale, which really? is also kind of nice. Um, plain potato chips? Yeah, you're, yeah, you're just plain. Nothing that, I don't want to distract from the flavors going on in the sandwich. So just a salty, plain potato chip. Um, it, it's weird because, as I said, it's a BLT with chicken. But the way it's presented, the way it's layered, the way it's put together, there's something different about it. There's something that only people who are part of the club can really understand. You know what I part mean? Part of the club. Part of the club, you said. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. The, there's something there, right? That it's not a BLT. BLT is a great sandwich. Don't get me wrong. A chicken BLT. I don't even know what that is. That's not a thing. Because if you isn't gonna, that a club sandwich? If what you're, are you talking about? Well, BLT? if you're gonna do a BLT with chicken. You're going to need that extra piece of bread. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So then it's a club sandwich. And then it's a different sandwich. And it's its own entity. It's its own mm-hmm. world. And that will be the recipe that we are going to provide for you down in the caption below. Can't wait to eat that. I'm going to wrap my lips around that sandwich. Goddamn. Um, the thing I wanted to mention about the food in this episode is that... So when, when Ted gives... Tarantino the donut he doesn't stand on ceremony he just shoves it in no, his mouth whole. that's for just me boom it's in there Jennifer Beals grabs a club sandwich goes off and does does what she wants to do so the what happens in the the actual room the story is that there's a bet between Tarantino and his best friend he has to light his lighter 10 times in a row otherwise he will get his finger chopped off yeah. and Alfred Hitchcock spoiler alert yeah, it's it's similar to what was it called, Man from Idaho or Man? Yeah, from Man from the something. Plains. Yeah, yeah, it was and Man it was from something. Steve yeah. McQueen, Alfred Hitchcock. What happens is that Norman actually does uh, get his finger chopped off, and it's a bit of a thing where a couple people freak out. Norman, of course, uh, Chester, played by Tarantino, he freaks out. But Jennifer Beals, at the at, while this is going on. Very, she was extremely calm during the psychosexual drama in her second room. Yeah, in this room, she just witnessed, witnessed a man get his finger chopped off, and she says very casually, I'll see you guys later, all right? You know, and they have a little kind of small talk chit chat as she leaves. But her, my candidate for spinoff is the Jennifer Beals movie because how can she be this casual seeing a man's finger get chopped off? <laughs> Look at how can she be so relaxed in a psychosexual... She has a backstory. Look I at want who to know she's married to, right? Like, Well, what's her backstory? She is a fascinating character. Yeah. Great character. Yeah. And, and we, Just expressed through the can, fact that she could eat a club sandwich and leave during this incredibly gruesome thing that happened. There's a lot to be said about this room that we completely glossed over the fact that Bruce Willis... The only A-list celebrity in the entire movie, I would assume. Yes. Uh, not even supporting a very handsome goatee, by the way. Rare Bruce Willis goatee. The '90s vest outfit thing. Yeah. Very weird. Yeah. Like that's like a Moore's rental tux. Yes, sir. Like <laughs> that's like uh, yeah, your 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 typical wedding groomsman yeah. rental tux. I've yeah. worn a couple of those. It's just not a good not a good look. Um, mm. 
but uh, he's not even billed in this movie. No, I, I think I mentioned to you that he was actually fined by the union for taking this movie under scale. He just want, he just thought it was a cool, fun thing to do. So just he just thought it'd be a good time. Yeah, so he got in a little bit of trouble with the union for taking less than scale to be in the movie. So that's basically the four rooms, all the food in them. I, I must admit, not a tremendous food movie, not a great food movie, no. but a great movie. I, I really enjoyed Enjoyable. it. Enjoyable. I think, you yeah. know, coming off of Master and Commander, which had a lot of food, this is mm-hmm. probably a little bit more of a, a lighter conversation. Not so much me waxing poetic about the history of naval warfare, uh, but uh, still a great, great movie to do. Pleasure to actually get through it and and, and really examine it uh, from the perspective of food. Um, yeah, because it, it's, it's significant... It, so many things cross over in this movie culturally, which were significant. Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, uh, Madonna, Selma Hayek, all these, at that point in time, a lot of things were happening culturally in the 90s. And this thing kind of crossed a lot of them, uh, I feel like. But did it in a way that was fun and also mm-hmm. kind of made me feel dirty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It did. It, it, they really pushed the boundaries of good taste. I feel like I came out. They, of, they made you feel uncomfortable yeah, in a lot of I, Every yeah. every room, even the first, made me feel odd and dirty and weird in some way. And I and I think I enjoyed that. Let's get down to the awards for this movie. All so, right. best and worst use of food. I feel like I actually haven't thought of this. <laughs> Crystal is the best use of food in the movie. You think Crystal is the best? Yeah, okay. it builds Tarantino's character. It sets the scene for that room. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think definitely the best use of food. Worst use of food. I mean, I can only imagine what they did with that liver in the first scene. Oh, they so, wasted some liver, bro. But uh, they, oh, yeah, that's a shame. That's a, that is the worst use of food. I, Why would you waste that delicious liver? Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? It could have been done as chopped liver. Uh, mm. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to go. With liver that. gets no respect. I tell you, liver was a punchline for so many jokes and sitcoms in the '80s and '90s. Yeah, disrespecting liver all over the place. It's these great people. food. We mm. are we are pro liver on this podcast. We need to make a, a liver renaissance, like they brought back balsamic vinegar and sun-dried tomatoes, as you mentioned in our text messages. <laughs> uh, liver needs a moment, I think. Yeah, liver is the new kale. Yeah. So, which character would you like to have dinner with? Ooh. I'm gonna... Take your time. Think about it. We can edit it out. <laughs> no, no. I'm going to have to say uh, which character would I like to have dinner with. Uh, it's got to be Tim Roth. It's got to be Ted. Really? Yeah, it's got to be Ted. That guy's got, especially if he's been, if he stayed on at the hotel, he's yeah. got good stories. That's an entertaining dinner. And I don't want to have it with, with uh, Siegfried. Because that's, mm-hmm. I, I like to eat my dinner and I don't want to get, you know. He'll just stare at you all. Just yeah, like I, I don't want to be afraid. Yeah. Yourself? Who are you yeah. having dinner with? I got to go Jennifer Beals, man. You, you want to know had more. This, I want to know more. But she, <laughs> she, her character has such intelligence. But also she had that darkness to her where she could just, there's something, she suffered some severe trauma and came out of it. But she also has a level of intelligence. Again, someone needs to make a spinoff of that Jennifer Beals character. Something. She she was fascinating to me. I would I would talk her ear off. But the thing is, 
here's the double-edged sword of this. If I did have dinner with that character, she would be ex- she would be able to read me quickly. Like she would book. know exactly. Yeah. Oh, she would know immediately who I am, what I'm about, and she would be very cagey with her answers for sure. She might even manipulate me. She might yeah. mess with me a little bit. Yeah. You know? You're waving a gun around at the end of that dinner, like she's tied to a chair. I don't know. She could turn me out. I'm pretty sure psychologically. Oh. <laughs> and, um, and and on that bombshell. <laughs> I, I I think uh, yeah I think that's it for um, well I mean there's missed food opportunities can't really do much of that pick a dish not too many dishes to pick I'm picking club sandwich you already picked Crystal yeah and yeah I think that's the end of four any any final thoughts on four rooms Jeff no just that I loved it and uh, it was a pleasure to kind of dive a little deeper into it. All right. Anything? Well, thanks everyone. Oh, sorry. Anything from you? Any any final parting I, words? I would just I would just tell the audience watch this movie because it's really unique to that time in history of the '90s where all these disparate characters kind of came together. Yeah. Also worth noting, two of the directors, Rodriguez and Tarantino, went on to become much bigger and became megastar directors. The other two, Allison Anders and Rockwell, kind of fell off. Um, we haven't really heard from them. They haven't really, they seem to have peaked at that moment or slightly before that moment and kind of fell off. So interesting how life works, you know, where all four of them were sort of on the same level when they made this movie. Two went that way. The other two kind of went the other way. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Do we, do we know what we're doing next? We are doing, uh, the, was it the French, uh, French dispatch? The French dispatch is what we're doing next. Correct. Okay, yes, yeah, Wes Anderson. Yeah. Okay, so thanks for thanks for listening, everybody. Next week we'll be doing the French Dispatch, the recent film by Wes Anderson, which also takes place in an episodic format, which we're kind of on a roll with here with Pulp Fiction, Four Rooms, and now French Dispatch. So, um, yeah, stay tuned for that and have a good day.